0: Welcome to episode three of the Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay Martin. I'm an investor and the CEO of Cambridge House. And today I'm joined by Doug Casey, the legendary speculator, libertarian philosopher, and best selling author. Now, he's been a best selling author, honestly, since before I was born. Now, the majority of his career, the last 40 plus years, has been hyper focused on the commodity sector. And Doug has made piles of money investing in the commodities industry and so that is the core focus of this interview we talk about where he's made money in the past where he's making money today he shared his top holdings in his portfolio and what he thinks is going to change in the years moving forward he talked about where he sees bubbles and where he thinks bubbles are about to emerge and one of these was very very interesting to me now we got into portfolio breakdown how he allocates capital We talked about why he has no interest in conventional portfolio management and why he thinks you shouldn't either. Now, Doug's always a fascinating discussion. He's a legend in the business and a deep, deep thinker. I really enjoyed this conversation. This is The Jay Martin Show. I hope you enjoy it too. And one quick note, a few times in this episode, I referenced the website where you can buy Doug's books as higherground.com. The website is actually highgroundseries.com. That's highgroundseries.com to purchase Doug's books. Jay Martin here, CEO of Cambridge House, and I am joined this morning by Doug Casey, and we are looking for our next investment opportunity. Doug, how are you?
1: I'm fine and dandy talking to you from um, the backward, but very pleasant People's Republic of uh, Uruguay
0: excellent okay so most people on this channel are familiar with you doug uh but for anybody who's not uh, we're talking to the founder of casey research multiple times best-selling author doug's been at the forefront of the junior mining business and mining finance for 40 plus years uh crisis investing was a book that doug published i believe in 1980 uh but it was you know we talk about best-selling authors all the time new york times bestseller and not taking anything away from that accomplishment because it's huge in any regard, but there's multiple categories where you can become a bestseller. Crisis Investing was the best-selling book in the United States and remained so for many, many months. And Doug's the author of several books since then, um, including Speculator up there in my bookshelf, which is part of a fictional series that Doug's now writing. And I love this because I read a ton of fiction. And you know, in this industry, sometimes I feel guilty about that. Like, oh, I should be reading uh human action by ludwig von Mises or anti-fragile and these bigger books which are really important books to read but um i appreciate the perspective i get from reading good fiction uh historically accurate fiction um authors like edward rutherford etc and in doug's case what he does is take real events that are happening all around us right now that we're all experiencing and just apply a new perspective to it really challenging a lot of the status quo about how we think about certain characters. That's kind of the premise. Is that right, Doug, behind the Higher Ground series?
1: Uh, Yes, it is. What I'm doing is taking uh, very unpopular and politically incorrect occupations and uh, showing that our hero, Charles Knight, as he engages in them, can be a good and moral guy. And that's what happened in Speculator where he gets involved in a gold mine in West Africa. That he makes a lot of money on turns out to be a huge fraud. So we picked up a lot of stuff from the Briex uh, disaster on that. Uh, then uh, he still salvages some money after the government takes most of it from him and uh, sails around the world for seven years and becomes a drug lord when he comes back to the US, where we talk about the illegal and legal drug businesses in the US. That's a pretty good book. And now, we have assassin because um, Charles has made fortunes with both of those businesses and had them stolen by the deep state, by the government. So he decides that there are some people that just need killing. And this is a defense of, um, this is shocking, actually. I know you're going to want to edit this for general consumption, (laughs) but it's a a moral and ethical defense of political assassination as a uh, possible means of regime change. Uh, so it's a, it's a morality play in many ways, but it's a hell of a good book. So pick it up. I'm proud of it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I love it. So all those books are available at higherground.com and I encourage you to pick them up. Um, you know, and so to your point about, am I going to edit this? I'm going to try not editing this and, and just, we're going to post it as it is. It's so important to challenge your assumptions. Like that's that's a premise of my life, you know, is is to be able to strip away the assumptions, the architecture of your thought process, the way you've been programmed, and truly think for yourself is a really challenging exercise, but an important one. Um, and that, that, you know, so look, everybody wants access to you, Doug. You've been in the business for so long. Uh, what the Higher Ground series is to me is like a window into your thought process and it's very valuable. So thank you for putting that together. Well,
1: um, I, try to be, I try to be suitably outrageous. Which is- <laughs> it's just helpful would you want to uh, you want to amuse people as well as educate them and that includes me i enjoy reading things that i'm both amused as well as ed- educated so yeah thanks and we all live in our own silos these days uh where we tend not to hear narratives from without from without our silos, so uh, i'll try to say a few things that uh might shock hopefully not disgust too many people
0: great okay Okay, now I want to dive into a couple topics today, uh, mainly talking about the commodity sector. I mean, the purpose behind this content and these interviews, Doug, is, as you know, is, is when I get excited about an investment thesis, first of all, the genesis of that is a response to these conversations. I sit down every week with brilliant individuals, and I get to grill them on where their mind's at, where their money's going, all of this stuff, and and a variety of backgrounds and areas of expertise. But what I'm looking for is consensus. I'm looking for a common denominator from an eclectic mix of individuals. And that's where I start to zero in because I can see a wave of capital moving in one direction from a variety of sources. And if I were to say I'm receiving the most consensus about one idea right now, it's absolutely the commodity sector. And so I want to jump into that. I know you're very versed in this. So I want to talk about this, uh, get into where you're maybe deploying capital right now, get into specific commodities and some some predictions or forecasts or just thoughts. And then actually this morning, I told people I'm sitting down with Doug Casey in an hour, what kind of questions do you have for him? And I got a handful from the audience as well. So that's what we're going to do. And um, beginning, Doug, with the commodities call it bullish sentiment in the commodity sector um and, and just real quick, are, are do you agree? Are you bullish on commodities despite you know mass global unrest, the fact that so many major cities all over the world are still in absolute lockdown? However, I'm seeing calls for the beginning of another secular bull market in commodities. What do you think?
1: Yes, I agree, because um relative to Stocks, commodities are at about the cheapest they've ever been uh, relative to the S&P, for instance. The spread between uh, commodity indexes and stock indexes is greater than it's ever been. So by comparison, commodities are really, really cheap. Also, by comparison with the bond market, well, that's, that's an easy one with, with interest rates at, at all-time lows, and therefore, bonds at all-time highs. But there are other things with commodities. Uh, they last had a peak back about 2011, 2012, depending on the commodity. Uh, we're, we're talking now almost 10 years. And they've been in a bear market for most of that time. So that uh, many commodities, and they've been perking up recently, of course. But they were selling beneath costs of production. And commodity prices always rotate around costs of production. Uh, when it goes below costs of production, a lot of companies go out of business, production drops, shortages, it goes back up. And the same thing when they're above costs of production. So until recently, most commodities have actually been below costs of production. That's changing now. But uh, I'm bullish on commodities because we actually live in a world where it's metaphysically impossible for everything to be overpriced, but actually, everything is overpriced with the exception of the raw materials of civilization, which is to say commodities. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a bull on commodities in general. That's okay. that's my argument in a nutshell.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's mainly from a value standpoint. Correct? That's what you're looking at. It's because it, you can look at like inflation or currency debasement as a correlation to the price of these commodities, you know, maybe a, a vaccine led recovery and a, a growth boom, um, the renewable energy sector driving specific demand. But any of those threads that you would tug on more than the other, Doug?
1: Well, like I said, uh, commodities are about the only thing that's cheap left in the world. But uh, actually, more than commodities themselves, uh, I I look first and foremost at, at gold for a number of reasons, uh, but uh, gold isn't cheap uh, from a cost of production point of view. Uh, the all-in sustaining costs of the average gold producer now about thousand dollars an ounce, and let's say the gold is about nineteen hundred to two thousand an ounce. So these companies are actually coining money now. So most of what I'm doing is not directly in commodities. Yeah, I know. Sugar is cheap. Soybeans have come up a lot. Things are going higher. Corn is cheap. It's going higher. I mean, coffee's cheap. But we're not really talking about those things. We're talking about the metals. And here that means mostly gold and silver and copper. Uh, Gold miners are making a lot of money right now, Jay. But the stocks are lagging. They've gone nowhere. And I've asked, well, why is that? And the reason is that the people that manage stocks, the big mutual funds, uh, of which there really aren't any that do gold stocks anymore, the last gold peak 30 years ago, say, there were 35 gold stock funds. I don't know how many there are now, but not many. Uh, they've all gone out of business. The public's not interested in them. The public and fund managers uh, basically believe what Warren Buffett says, gold is just a pet rock. OK, and this reveals a complete uh, lack of understanding of basic economics, quite frankly. But it's wonderful. You can buy these gold stocks now, some of them, selling at uh, P.E. ratios of seven, eight, nine, uh, And gold is going higher. Now, the public is going to pile into these things. The next bubble is going to be in gold stocks.
0: OK, that's that's super bullish. Now, t- talk to me a little bit about, you mentioned $1,000 an ounce, all in sustaining costs as an average for gold miners these days. Uh, how much is the break-even price for a lot of these companies going to be impacted, though, if we continue to see further inflation? I mean, I don't think the money printer is going to stop. Uh, how much of an impact will that have on the break-even price of miners? Do you think, Doug? And is that something we should be watching?
1: Okay. Well, one of the costs all the, all the
0: inputs. I mean, right? Labor, yeah, fuel, machinery.
1: Yeah, energy. That's yeah. a big one. Fuel. Uh, and I am kind of bullish on uh, on oil prices at, at this point. Um, and talking about oil, I'm very bullish on uh, smaller Canadian. Oil uh, producers—they're excellent bargains right now. Tangent. Before we—I don't know if we're going to talk about oil or not, but uh, in case we don't, I'll throw this in. Uh, Back in uh, the early '80s, when energy was something everybody thought about with the oil crises and whatnot, uh, the S&P 500 was about a third energy stocks. Now. Uh, when everybody thinks the world is going electric and oil companies are going out of business, and of course companies like uh, BP have said they're getting out of the oil business, it's kind of like the bell ringing at the bottom of the market. Uh, about two and a half percent of the S&P is oil stocks, so they've fallen by over 90 percent in in that term, in those terms. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm also bullish on oil. Let me. We're going to talk about metals mostly, but I wanted to toss that out there. Yeah, I'm in.
0: glad you, I'm glad you did because it's I, I you know I have no exposure to the oil sector, Doug, and it's not an industry that I, I know well enough to have exposure to. So I'm, I'm glad you touched on it because across the board again, whether it's well what you just said and. A lot of the individuals that I follow, Marin Gatusa, brilliant individual in the sector, uh, quite bullish on oil. Eric Townsend, Macro Voices podcast, brilliant individual, very bullish on oil. And it's kind of been off my radar. So I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, but you're right, my focus is the metals. Um, so getting back to that, you know, I understand your sentiment on gold. What else comes out? I mean, I know you're you're invested, I believe, in the copper nickel space uh this year. What commodities stand out, Doug, to you as the top performers? this year?
1: Two of the top performers have actually been, it's such a pleasure to say this, my two largest positions. uh, Metalla uh, Royalty, uh, which I was a founding shareholder of, and now one called Nova Metals, which is another royalty company. And incidentally, there are only uh, about a dozen royalty companies uh, involved in the metals business. But royalties are the safest, uh, and in some ways, one of the highest potential, certainly from a risk-reward, cost-benefit basis, mm. way to play the whole market. Uh, and uh, uh, NOVA has gone from, I don't know what it went public at, 50 cents, and it's trading now at about $4. It's done that in a matter of six months. Yeah. So fantastic run. And there will be more royalty companies popping up. Much the same way, you recall, during the, during the uranium boom of how long ago was that, 15 years, uh, there were about five uranium companies out there. And by the time the boom ended, there were 400 mm-hmm. that had uranium in their name, not that they mined any. So uh, I think the royalty space is going to grow and fill up, too. I like guys that have got into it early. And can pick the low-hanging fruit and know what they're doing as proved by the fact that they're early to get into the space so uh, yeah royalties are a great way to play the metals markets in general and most people are unaware of their existence even
0: right right what's up everybody sorry for the interruption quick note if you enjoy these conversations I publish a weekly newsletter and it's free where I share my top takeaways, lessons learned, and any action steps I might be taking as a consequence in the market. Sign up at Cambridgehouse.com. I publish every week and it's free. Now back to the conversation. And and Nova is an interesting story. You know, so I had I slid Alex Zukernick, the CEO of Nova Royalty, into the gold summit that we hosted on November 23rd last year as an outlier. It was all gold speakers, gold companies. And then just to test the market's appetite, I put Nova Royalty into the agenda. And it was really interesting to watch the live chat fire up when Alex and I started chatting and we got into his business model and what he was doing buying these third party royalty agreements in the copper and nickel space. For anyone who's not familiar, that's what Nova Royalty is doing. And, um, you know, a healthy debate fired up in the live chat between call it like near-term copper nickel bulls and and near-term bears, but maybe long-term bulls. Everybody's kind of aligned on eventually, but timing was the question. And um, it's an interesting way to play the copper market because you can get in a bit of trouble and correct me if I'm wrong here, approaching the copper sector with the same lens that you use to look at gold companies, Right. Um, when you, when you talk about the exit strategy of a copper company, you don't, you have far fewer options, right? The amount of cash and time required to get an economic deposit into production is vastly different. And the suitors that might acquire you, there's maybe 5%. I mean, how how many really in the copper business, five or six, uh, whereas in gold, you have hundreds. If you look at the junior producers, mid tiers and the majors, um, interesting. So, so yeah, I mean, Nova has been a favorite on the show, um, and, I, I grill Alex on this because he does, I feel like he's kind of got first mover advantage right now in this sector. But um I haven't seen any other comparable companies launched yet, but I'm sure they're coming. Royalties
1: well, one that it's not in the same space, but it's not a gold and silver royalty company. <clears throat> and that's um our uranium royalty, which I'm also a big shareholder of. Yeah. Because I'm a bull on uranium. In fact, I'm a super bull on uranium, as cheap as it is and all kinds of economic reasons. Uh, I've long held that uh, nuclear power is the safest and the cheapest and the cleanest form of mass power generation. And that's going to be the case for several decades at least to come. So I'm really bullish on uranium and uranium royalty is the only royalty company in the uranium space. So uh, anyway, getting back to uh, well, you know, you mentioned copper royalties and, and, and other metals like nickel. Of course, copper and nickel are, are, are looked upon as kind of being the two new green metals with the battery revolution. But uh, I uh, hasten to add that uh, mining, this is why Warren Buffett, who, who hates gold, but entirely apart from that, he's never until very recently invested in a single mining stock. And why might that be? Because basically, mining is the crappiest business in the world. It's a horrible business. It went from it was a wonderful business in the middle of the 19th century, when, after the Homestake Mine was discovered in in in, in Leeds, South Dakota, from discovery to full production was a matter of months, and it was paying a dividend of roughly 100 percent of the price of what the original investors invested. You know. For, for, I mean, it was a wonderful business. Finding a gold mine was like finding a gold mine. I mean, you were rich. But now, I mean, uh, most of the low fruit has been picked. People have been looking for gold and silver for thousands of years so that all the high-grade, uh, obvious, shallow, low-cost deposits, they've all been picked. All that, Basically, all that's left are things that you need. You, you can only find with high-tech devices, or in places where you really don't want to go. So uh, yeah, mining is, is a crappy business, in addition to the fact that all your money is put in upfront, And when we're talking copper, forget about gold or nickel, you're talking billions of dollars of investment. And that's after you spent many, many millions finding the deposit and proving it up and developing it. It's a horrible business. Only a fool would get involved in it. So what are we doing here, quite frankly? <laughs> well, the answer is, is these stocks are very volatile. And when they run, uh, they go for wild runs. So it's a yep. bad habit that I've got. But it's, <laughs> it's a bad habit that's treated me better than other bad habits that I have.
0: Sure, sure. Okay. So I wanted to dig into some of your stock picks and maybe top CEO picks. Um, you know, you've mentioned Nova Royalty. That's Alex Sukarnik. You mentioned Geranium Royalty Corp. That's Amir Nanny. Um, you, you know, I, I had some questions from the live chat today, Doug, specifically. People wanted to know about your investments in the shipping industry. Uh, and I wasn't even aware of that. But, you know, I, I was super curious about where you put cash and why in the shipping business.
1: Well, there's lots of... Um... Areas in the shipping business, but I'm interested in the oil shipping business. Uh, A big company to look at, I guess probably the biggest is Scorpio, down like 90% from its previous peak. And the interesting thing about shipping is this, is that recently uh, everything, everything in the world is becoming regulated. I mean, it's like the whole world is turning into a people's giant people's republic. But anyway, ships. Uh, and the kind of fuel they burn and the contents of their exhaust is now regulated. And uh, tankers shipping oil, uh, well, first of all, the average tanker has a life of about 20 years, okay, from the time it's built to the time it has to be scrapped for any number of reasons. Uh, But now there's an additional complication, is that existing ships which have uh, 10 years left on their on their life. Uh they have to spend a lot of money on changing their fuel and the way it's filtered, all kinds of things like that. So uh, and of course, with oil down now, too. You can buy these things, you can buy stocks like Scorpio for a discount of 90%. And oil is not going away. So, yeah, I think that's a, a real contrarian bet at the moment that's worth making.
0: Right. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I wonder if that's all the renewable energy conversation is. Why I haven't spent enough time looking at the oil sector because inevitably it's going to be an incredibly important commodity for the rest of my life. Uh, you know, the transition will occur, but that doesn't change everything right away. Okay, so um, Doug, can you share a little bit? I'd be curious to know, and I'm sure my audience would be curious to know how you break up your portfolio right right now if you're looking forward you know how how do you break up your portfolio in terms of speculations investments and assets do you have hard and fast rules that you stick to you're kind of a cowboy how do you make those decisions
1: well look i'm a believer in the old market adage uh i think it was jay gould that coined it be right and sit tight uh and right now the place to be as i indicated earlier is in gold and silver and some other mining stocks. So I am hugely overweight, hugely overweight in this area. I have no interest in conventional portfolio management and distribution where you have so many consumer goods and so many industrial this banks and financials. Forget about that. It's, it's all crap. We're, we're in a bubble today. We're in a... Not just a super, we're in a hyper bubble in the regular stock market, because the not just the US government, but basically all the world's governments are printing up currency units by the trillions. And that money has found its way into the financial markets. And that's why we have this hyper bubble in bonds and this super bubble in stocks, And, uh, well, for instance, right now, margin debt in the stock market in the U.S. is at an all time high. It's $600 billion or something like that. It's an all time high. So what's going to happen if there's some type of an accident that takes the stock market down significantly and there are margin calls? Then you got forced selling. Uh, you know, people forget how cheap stocks can get. I mean, at the bottom of the last depression in 1933, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Index was yielding 13% in dividends after dividends had been cut significantly. Uh, Look, uh, I recommended and I bought and I got very lucky with stocks uh, traded in um, Belgium, Spain, and Hong Kong in the mid-1980s. Why? Because they were yielding the major market, the indexes were yielding 12 to 15 percent in dividends. They were selling at like four times earnings, <clears throat> half of book value. That's how cheap stuff can get. And uh, so I, I really have no interest in chasing the regular stock market right now. That's why I'm just in the golds because they're really, really cheap. They're the only thing that really are right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered the question, or if that's more you wanted to hear on that.
0: Yeah, I wanted to know more about your investment philosophy. So, so thank you. And, and so, okay. So to recap a few things, if I were to restate what I heard, you most bullish on uranium, uh, you know, super Bowl, in your words, silver and gold stocks, and then the metal royalty companies. And you took a position in Metalla, we've had you know founding, and took a position in Nova Royalty.
1: And And I'm bullish on copper and nickel. Uh, And I say that in spite of the fact that I believe we're well into what I call the greater depression, which is going to be uh, much worse than the unpleasantness of 1929 to 1946, and very different. Uh, And during a depression, the use of uh, industrial metals drops a lot because there's less economic activity. So why am I Interested in in things like nickel and copper? Well, for one thing, because governments are so in control of economies today, uh, they're going to push forward the electric agenda. So there's going to be more usage of nickel and copper and those things, and the, the the use is going to go up on those things regardless of the in, in, uh, uh, of the uh, economic environment. Number one, but number two. It takes so long and it's so expensive developing base metal deposits that there are going to be shortages. So even with copper, well over $3 right now. Yeah, I think it's going higher. It's Hmm. going a lot higher. Okay. Same nickel. Got it. And Uranium.
0: Uranium. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned two royalty companies to get you exposure. Um, Okay. I want to call attention to you're now publishing a, a daily It's daily, or is it weekly? Your video blog, Doug Casey's Take. It's a YouTube channel. Search Doug Casey's Take. It's the first thing that comes up. You can just search Doug Casey and it'll pop up there. And you're producing a ton of content on the channel. I recommend people check that out. Uh, it's, It's relatively new, right? What drove this for you, Doug?
1: That's a good question because it seems like I'm working harder than I ever have in the past, and I need to work less than I've ever had to in the past. Um, good question. It's all a <laughs> matter of psychology, isn't it? Uh, right. Gee, I don't know. Uh, why, am I doing, why am I doing all these things? In fact, I'm coming out with a, a new version of Crisis Investing written with Nick G. M. Bruno. Uh, I don't know. I guess I just want to, I think I'm going to be right. And I want to go on record as being right. And you've got to fill those idle hours somehow, I suppose. I mean, I read a lot of novels now myself, uh, but you can't do that all day long, mostly classics. In fact, I'm reading uh, James Michener's Tales of the South Pacific now, uh, quite an interesting book, and just finished, um, uh, what's his name, McKinnon's book, The Sand Pebbles, which was a great movie with Steve McQueen. So like, look, I just want to keep busy. What else am I going to do? Um, lay in the sun by my pool. I mean, not very interesting, not very yeah. intellectually stimulating. I guess that's the answer, isn't it?
0: Yeah, no, it makes sense to me. I get it. Okay. So um, uh, I want to thank you for coming on and I want to push people to higherground.com for the higher ground novel series, speculator, drug Lord, assassin just came out. Um, Doug Casey's Take is the YouTube channel where you'll find Doug on a regular basis and always stay on top of internationalman.com. That was the producer of the conference that I attended that you hosted in November with a stellar lineup of guests. Um, And thanks again, Doug. It was great to connect with you again.
1: No, it was a pleasure talking to you, Jay. I mean, talk about intellectual stimulation. That's a wonderful thing about Zoom.
0: Perfect. All right.